morning, church. Great to see you. Welcome to Union Chapel again. This is the day the Lord has made. We rejoice and are glad in it. He did a good job today, right? Beautiful day. Trust that you're enjoying that. We are completing the series on struggles that we began five weeks ago. So we'll be uh, tying that up today. Before I get into this, I just want to say a word about the election. I know that it's been exhausting for all of us, very difficult experience. And I just want to uh, help you realize that lots of people are in all kinds of emotional and psychological state as a result of this. Some folks are happy, some people are sad, some people are frustrated and angry, some folks are fearful. For some of you, this whole process has actually caused your faith to wobble. You wonder, is God, is God real? Is God listening? Is God paying attention? What's going on? And I just want to reassure you, I want to encourage you today that the God we serve is still on the throne of this universe. He is in absolute and complete control of everything. You know, the Bible, the Bible says that he holds all of the oceans of the world in his hands. The Bible says that, that the stars, his hand actually, actually expands the width of the distance between the stars and the universe, a big universe. His hand contains it all. Now, if God's hands are that big, then he's got you, he's got me, he's got us in the palm of his hands, and you can be encouraged by that. One of the, one of the benefits, I suppose, of the last four years has been the exposure to what otherwise would have been dark corners in government, in institutions, in media. It's like there's been an uncovering of a lot of things, you know, it's good to get light on things. It's good to have light. And you should know that, um, that our current president, Donald Trump, probably will not go quietly into the night. That wouldn't be his style. And so things won't be over for a while. And so you just should know that. And uh, you should be prayerful. I rem am reminded of the, the three Hebrew children. Some of you remember this powerful story from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, this was the Babylonian captivity era and the Jews were in exile. And Nebuchadnezzar was the king at the time and he built this 90-foot statue of himself, thought a lot of himself, and created a special moment for the whole kingdom to worship him. So on designated days when the music was played, everyone in the kingdom was to bow down and worship this 90-foot idol of the king. And there were three Hebrews in exile at the time. Their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three guys refused to bow down to this idol. And as punishment for this disobedience, you either worship this idol or you die. And so Nebuchadnezzar had this fiery furnace, this hot furnace constructed, this pit of fire, and had it stoked seven times hotter than usual. And then stood these bound three Hebrew men at the edge of this furnace and asked them a sarcastic question. He said, is your God whom you serve able to deliver you from this fiery furnace? Of course, for the king, it was rhetorical. No one can deliver you from the authority of my hand. 
and I'm going to have you guys put to death unless you bow down and worship this idol. And these three guys are all tied up and bound right on the edge of this furnace, which is instant death. And they looked at him, and with great calm and resolve, they said to the question, is your God able to deliver you? They said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, our God could deliver us like that from this fiery furnace. But even if he chooses not to, you should know, and everybody should know, we're not bowing down to that idol. No, sir. Not us. Not now. Not here. King, you know, is belligerent. He throws these guys into this furnace. <laughs> the only thing that was burned on these guys, according to the story, were the shackles, the fetters. They burned away. And these three guys, these Hebrew children are walking around in this fiery furnace and Nebuchadnezzar is seeing these three guys. And then he asked the question, weren't there three guys that we threw in there? Because I see a fourth man walking with them. When they pulled them out of this fiery furnace, they didn't have, they didn't have the smell of smoke on them. They, didn't, they weren't singed in any way. The only thing that was gone were the ropes that had bound them. And by the end of that story, Nebuchadnezzar said, your God is the God of the world. He is a God who delivers. This is the God whom we serve. This is the God in whom we place our trust. So you be encouraged. He's got us. And he will keep us. Amen. Well, today I want to conclude this series on struggles. I want to just remind you that we've been talking about the consequential effects of social media. We know it has a lot of benefits and lots of blessings that flow from it, but there are also consequences to it. And also today I want to talk specifically about the addictive nature of it and how we need rest from that and recovery from that. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, and I want to read first verses 7 through 13. And this has to do with resting, a Sabbath rest, how we might make the application. Our custom here is to stand to hear God's word, so thank you for doing that as you're able. I'll start at verse 7. God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. You see the phrase? A Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his in the creation. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. May God inspire and instruct us through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Now we know there's a lot to love about technology. It moves information, it mobilizes people, and inspires folks to do great things, and we can expand the borders of the kingdom of God 
through the technology, and so there's lots of benefits. Uh, I, I, a perfect example of this is from Life Church in Oklahoma City under the leadership of Craig Groeschel, and again, to give him kudos for the basic uh, outline for this series. Uh, they created in their local church there a, an, an app that's uh, the Bible. It's called the Version Bible app. Just under 200 million free copies of that app have been distributed from Life Church over the last several years. That's a remarkable accomplishment and just an example of how media can be used and this technology can be used for good things. So it's easy to love. And on the other hand, it's easy to become suspicious of social media. And the reason that we are growing in our concern about this is because the science now is indicated a, an addictive pattern that many people are developing around social media. And it's not a healthy thing. Kerry Newoff uh, is a pastor in Canada. He said, like money, social media is a great servant, but a horrible master. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'll put this on the screen for you. This is uh, the Apostle Paul writing the church at Corinth. He say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. Or in other words, I will not be mastered by anything. For many of us, we're not enslaved by social media. I mean, we can take it or leave it, and it's useful to us, and it doesn't overburden us. I am an example of that kind of person. I am not, I'm not uh, wrapped up in social media. You may say that that's a product of my, my age, and it probably has a lot to do with that. It's just not my preference, not my worldview. I didn't grow up with it. It's all learned behavior for me, and so it doesn't come easy for me or naturally for me. It doesn't intrigue me particularly. I I uh, have decided that I will be the only person on planet Earth who does not have a Facebook account, <laughs> which I do not. I do not have an Instagram account. I don't have a Twitter account. Uh, our staff uses Google um, something or other all the time, and I still can't figure out how to even get on it. And so I'm, I'm, I'm backwards. I'm kind of out of touch. But... There are some of you who are all together wrapped up and invested. And it has for you, whether you realize it or not, perhaps become a big problem. It needs to be addressed, needs to be managed. Remember, Paul said, I will not be mastered by anything. But there are those of you who are within the sound of my voice today, you're mastered by this, drawn to it, addicted to it, compulsively checking it all the time. It's your default mode when there's nothing else going on, when you're not doing anything productive, when you're not thinking about anything else, you grab the device and you start spinning through it. It's an issue. Here are seven ways, top seven ways to know that you may be addicted to social media. These are designed to be funny, so you have permission to laugh. Put them on the screen for you. Here's number seven. You plan your hashtag TBTs, that's your throwback Thursdays, a week in advance. How many of you do not know what Throwback Thursdays are? You do not know. Yeah. Yeah, these are, these are people old in the room. <laughs> Number six, your cat has its own Instagram page. That's a sign. You may be over the edge. 
Number five, you look forward to going to the bathroom so you can get to level seven on your favorite game. Gaming is very, see, some folks are finding that really funny. Gaming is very popular and folks go to the bathroom and they pull out their phone and they start working the game. Now here's the caveat. If you find your legs falling asleep every time you go to the bathroom, you have an issue. It means you've been sitting there way too long, way too long. Number four, you change your Facebook profile more than a 12-year-old girl. That's an indicator. Number three, you sleep with your phone like a teddy bear. Number two, you say, sorry, not sorry, in real life. And number one, you come on to your spouse by saying, hashtag, are you in the mood? And she says, hashtag, I have a headache. You know, that's how the inter interface goes. There's a new phobia that doctors are now dealing with to help people. It's called nomophobia. And the nomo implies what you think it would. It's the fear of not being connected through a, mo a, a mobile device, nomophobia. Studies show that about 66% of people have extreme anxiety, 66% extreme anxiety if somehow they lose connection. They misplace their phone, the battery goes dead. Lots of anxiety. If you're between 18 and 24 years old, that number jumps to 76%. Three out of four people in that age group, if you, you lose access to the connectivity, it makes you extremely anxious. 58% of people don't go one waking hour without checking their phone. 59% of you check email as soon as it comes in. And according to the studies, 80 9% of you will actually access your phone more frequently when you're on vacation than in your normal times. Also, uh, teenagers, the study shows that 80% of you sleep with your phone. 80% of teenagers sleep with your phone. If that's true for you, you need help. You need counseling. You need Jesus. And you really, you really need someone to take your phone away from you at night so you can get at least eight hours of sleep. Parents, come on. So 84% of people believe they couldn't go one day without their phones. Nomophobia. Here's an article from Business Insider. Uh, by the way, more and more is being written, and there have been documentaries produced about the negative dilatory effects of social media. Uh, Netflix has uh, three or four, maybe more now, documentaries. If I was a, the parent of young children in today's culture, I would, I would go research this question. I would, I would listen to what the scientists are saying about the effects, sociological psychological, emotional effects of social media on your children. Silicon Valley parents can see firsthand, this is from the Business Insider, either through living or working in the Bay Area, that technology is potentially harmful. Many parents are now restricting or outright banning screen time for their children. The trend follows a longstanding practice among high-level tech executives who have set limits for their own children and have been doing so for years. Most of you know the name Steve Jobs. Who hasn't heard of Steve Jobs? He's the founder of Apple. Steve Jobs, I know this because of direct information from someone who was in his house 
and was a friend of Steve Jobs. That person spoke to me, his mouth to my ear, and said to me that Steve Jobs forbade his own two children from owning their own device. Steve Jobs had one computer in his house. It was a desktop computer. It was centrally located. His children all the way through high school did not own a phone, an iPad, or any other personal device. Steve Jobs owned children. Does that need explanation? That is, that is powerful. That ought to say something. To somebody. In 2017, a survey conducted by the Silicon Valley Community Foundation found that among 907 Silicon Valley parents, now these, remember, these are the folks who create these devices and build these devices. They design them and they build them. That despite high confidence in technology's benefits, many parents now have serious concerns about tech's impact on kids' psychological and social development. This is not widely known, but in Silicon Valley, for years now, private schools are being built with private funding out of Silicon Valley. Parents, executives, other corporate executives in Silicon Valley out of their own pocket and out of their own corporate pockets are building schools with no technology. The very people who are building, designing, and and, and constructing these devices are building schools so their children will not be exposed to them. No pads allowed in our school. Pencil and paper only. Wake up, 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 wake up. Heads up, heads up, heads up. Heads up. Taiwoo Kim, who's chief uh, artificial intelligence engineer at one of those labs, one smart lab in this case, said you can't put your face in a device and expect to develop a long-term attention span. Former employees at major tech companies, some of them high-level executives, have gone public to condemn the company's intense focus on building addictive tech products all of which design has gradually convinced many parents that a child's palm is no place for a device so potent. The tech companies do know that the sooner your kids, adolescents, or teenagers use your platform, the easier it is to become lifelong habits for them. He said, it's no coincidence that Google has made a push into schools with Google Docs, Google Sheets, and the learning management suite, Google Classroom. And of course, parents all across America now, because of the pandemic, know all about these platforms. Turning kids into loyal customers of unhealthy products isn't a new strategy, the article goes on. Some estimates find that the major tobacco companies, listen to this, spend nearly $9 billion a year. That's $24 million every day marketing their products in the hopes that kids will become addicted to them and use them for life. What's that all about? Developing addictive products is good for profits. 
So here's what happens for so many of us. We have an inability to shut down. For many people, the default is there's nothing going on. I'm not thinking about anything. I'm not making a difference in the world. I have nothing to do. I pull out my phone. Pull out my pad. And off I go into some mindless thing. That's the default. So it probably means our minds are not shutting down. We're constantly distracted. We can't go for long stretches with great productivity because something bings or beeps and it breaks our concentration. High RPMs all the time. We're overwhelmed and we don't know why. What is happening to us? We're short with our children, we don't know why. Spiritually, we feel exhausted, we don't know why. We're longing for something more and yet we keep going back to the same thing, to the same patterns and wondering why there's no sense of fulfillment. Almost everybody in our culture today would acknowledge that our bodies need rest. Let me just say, I'm going to argue that our souls need rest. We need rest spiritually. We need to find peace. We need to find solitude. We need to find the presence of God in our lives and the unique, intimate, ongoing, thriving benefits of that relationship. Again, from our text today, Hebrews 4. So there's a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. Look what St. Augustine said. Hear the wisdom of God. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our soul is restless until it finds rest in you. Hear the wisdom of God. Some of you, this captures exactly where you are. Your soul has been restless for so long. You're looking for satisfaction. You're looking for meaning. You're wondering why your relationships don't work better. And, and there's something missing. There's a void. There's, there's a lack of significance. There's a lack of purpose. Now, this is something that is, is totally, to, uh, totally anecdotal to my experience. But I can tell you that, that the younger the person is I talk to, the more difficult it becomes for them in today's culture to answer this question. What do you sense is your purpose in life? Why are you here? That is becoming a desperately difficult question for the emerging generations in America, probably around the world. That's not good. That's not good. Well, that's just the product of youth. Who, who in the heck knows why they're here when they're young? People who know God and walk with God, it doesn't matter how old you are, you know why you're here. You should be able to articulate that. <laughs> it's, it's strange talk though, isn't it? Here's the invitation from Jesus. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, look at this. Come to me, he said, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Isn't that a beautiful illustration? Beautiful in invitation. So how do we find rest? What do we do? What's the application? How, if, I, if, I, if I admit that I, I need something to fill an emptiness that... Technology doesn't seem to be able to fill. How do I get that? Two thoughts, very simple. Two things. Here's the first thing. Be still. Be still. 
Look at Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am a God. Now, how many of you have ever been around a kid who wouldn't be still? How many of you are raising a kid like that right now? You, I mean, they just won't stop. They won't, be, they won't calm down. They won't quiet down. They won't be still. And you beg them, please, please be still. Please stop. How many of you are, are married to that big kid who just won't leave you alone? It's just crazy. Beth and I raised uh, one of our two sons is like that. He has more energy than any human being I've ever been around. He's 43 years old now. He's still got more energy than anybody I've ever seen. He was, I mean, it, you know, Beth and I are, are like, we're capable emotionally, physically. We have some strength about us. And when we were young, I mean, we had a lot of strength. It took both of us. It was like a tag team. If there had been one of us, we'd have been doomed. This guy, this guy was really busy. And, well, he had 32 facial stitches before he was three years old from four different collisions. We were on a first-name basis with the emergency room personnel. If, if, if we had done this in today's world, we, we would have been reported to Child and Family Services. <laughs> he had no respect for his body. He's just, just busy like that. One day I went into the living room and he was sitting on the couch. He's about four years old. He's just sitting there. He wasn't moving. He's listless. Hey, Aaron, how's it going? Uh, he's sitting there. I sat down just to watch him. It was a natural wonder <laughs> that he was sitting still. Look at him. Second after second, sitting perfectly still. A few, minutes, a few moments later, Beth comes in and she's carrying that little Tylenol bottle, you know, with that little eyedropper in it where you can squirt the Tylenol in a baby's mouth. I said, what are you doing? She said, I'm going to give him some Tylenol. He's got, a, he's got a temperature. I said, don't give him that Tylenol. Look at him. He's sitting perfectly still. We've never seen this before. This is amazing. Look at him. He's not moving. It doesn't take anything to be his parent right now. Just to sit. She said, that's terrible. You want our child to suffer. He's not suffering. Listen, there's a reason kids get a temperature. There's something in there that is going to die in the extra heat. That's natural. That's normal. Don't give him any of that Tylenol. She just looked at me like, you're a horrible parent. And she squirted it in his mouth 30 seconds later. Boom, he's up and he's, he's out of there. I said, what have you done? Now, now we have to chase him. Psalm 131, verse 2, David said, but I have stilled and quieted my soul. Hear that phrase. I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child. I am content. So here's David saying that he did something. It didn't happen to him. Rest did not happen by accident for him. It says he stilled and quieted his soul. He did it. Think about that. He thought his way into a state of solitude. He managed that thing. Now listen, addictions are everywhere among us. The room is full of addiction. People watch it online today. However many hundreds of people are, are listening to this right now. There is addiction everywhere. You've got addictions. I've got addictions. All God's people are addicted to this or that. Everybody's broken. 
everybody's in trouble. We're all addicted. That's just just true. My biggest addiction, I think, among them, my biggest addiction is adrenaline. I'm addicted to my own adrenaline. I think this came because in my early years, I was into sports, and, you know, when you get in competition, your adrenaline really pumps, and and it's a natural high. I mean, just, I just love doing that. And, and now exercise is an important part of my life. And, and so I use my compulsion, I use my addiction to my benefit. You know, it helps my health and my mental health. And, 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 and so exercise is a good thing. So, you know, make, make your compulsions work for you if you can. And this is, this is what you do. And, and I'm also a workaholic. Some of you are workaholics. It is very difficult for me to stop. I have to be completely intentional not to be doing something or thinking about something. My brain is constantly going. People, people ask me, you know, uh, what's your day off? So what is a day off? What does that even mean? I don't even know what that means because my motor just runs. And so I admit I have to intentionally slow down. Let me make this challenge to you. If you're like this, you're identifying with my problems, here's my challenge to you. Take five minutes every day and do nothing. Absolutely nothing for five minutes. This is five minutes. And you say, well, I can do do nothing for five minutes. That's no problem. That's nothing for me. Listen. If you're not used to sh- slowing it down and getting quiet, listen to me. Five minutes of doing nothing will be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. And one of the reasons it's hard is because it doesn't come natural to you because you've you got to keep, keep the RPMs up. And if the RPMs come down, it, you, know, you get anxious about that and you're not sure how to respond. And besides that, your phone's going to go off in those five minutes and one of the kids is going to need something and, and this work list in, that you have in your head, you know, I got to get those leaves raked and there's always something to do. And so this whole notion of be still and know that I am God is very challenging, but it's a key to overcoming some of these addictive patterns and to find rest, rest for your soul, rest in your heart, rest in your mind. Just let it breathe. I'm about to help someone right now. Listen to me carefully. The reason that most people don't know their purpose in life and don't really understand God's best plan for their life is because they never slow down long enough and get quiet enough to actually hear God speak to them. There is constant rush, there is constant noise, there is constant stimulation in our world. You can't get away from it. And what I'm telling you is, this is the wisdom of God, that God's will and ways are usually exposed to us and explained to us, not in an earthquake and not in a big wind and not in a big fire. It usually comes to us in a still, small voice, the still, small voice of God, the whisper of God. And the reason people can't hear God is because they don't get quiet and they don't get still. So they can't hear. You've heard me talk about this for years. The place I can hear God best is in my canoe. I lit, this is what I do. I get in my canoe early in the morning, 
Imagine a lake that's all placid and, you know, the sun's just coming up and I paddle out in the middle of the canoe and just sit there. I don't take my phone. It's just me and, and a Bible. And the only sound you hear is maybe some birds in the background, you know, on shore somewhere. And when I can get there, I can get quiet enough, long enough, I can hear him. Well, guys, someone like you, you should be able to hear God all the time. Listen, you can do all the God stuff all the time, but if you don't stop and rest and get quiet, you're not going to hear him. People in ministry are sometimes the last person to hear God because it's so busy, so much, so many good things going on, so many good things to do, people to help. You can miss God even in the middle of the God stuff. So it's, it's, just, it's just an admonition for all of us to be still and know that he is God. Now, here's the second thing. It's very simple. That is make a plan. Make a plan. Now, here this will be done. This is the end of it. Make a plan. Look at Proverbs 13, 16. A wise man thinks ahead, but a fool doesn't even brags about it. Now, what this means is to establish boundaries around the things that, that cause you to stumble. In this case, we're talking about tech use. Remember, we don't want to be mastered by anything. So I don't know what this is going to look like for you, but, I, but, but here's what I've tried to do all through this series is help you understand or establish boundaries for your tech use, especially if it's a problem for you. And look, people push back on this because you say, well, that's just not practical. I can't just set my phone down. I mean, I can't do my business. I can't communicate with people. I mean, my whole life is around the technology that allows me that connectivity and that interface. And so please don't ask me to set that down because it's central to my life. It's central to my world. It's how I, it's how I do it now. It's how everybody does it. Well, I understand the central usefulness of all of this, but again, it can, it can cause you to lose yourself, to lose your soul, to get distracted from God's best idea and plan. And so there has to be, a, there has to be boundaries. You have to be intentional about this. If you, were, if you were addicted to alcohol, all kinds of programs, all kinds of recovery programs, all kinds of uh, systems and strategies uh, put in place, uh, people, people have built the whole economy around recovery ministry. So just assume you're an alcoholic and this is your susceptibility. What's the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is to is to get healthy, get whole, to appreciate yourself without the need for this exterior stimulation. I mean, you want, you want to get well. And so the, the ultimate goal is don't drink alcohol. If I can just avoid drinking that, that will allow me to become the whole person God wants me to be so I don't constantly medicate all my problems away. And so the goal is not to drink the alcohol. I mean, that's like central. People say, well, duh, obviously, I mean, if you're addicted to alcohol, the last thing you want to do is drink alcohol. You know, it messes up your life. Okay, well, how, just apply, please apply it. Technology is something that people have become addicted to. It's the default setting, and it, and it disrupts and sometimes destroys lives and relationships because it's just too much. It's out of balance. There's no rest. 
There's no stillness. There's no balance. And so, again, the application might be that you're going to turn your phone completely off during meals. If you're having a family meal, no phone. You go to a small group, no phone. Phone is turned off. Put it in my pocket. It can't even buzz. It's off. Phone is off. For others of you, it's, it's nighttime. From, from 10 o'clock until 7 in the morning, no phone. I'm going to shut the thing off. Leave it in a different room from where my bed, where I rest. Maybe those are plans that you could take. For some of you, you need to do not just a five-minute break, but for some of you, you need to do a five-day break from social media. Five days. It's called detox. Others of you, you are mastered by the technology. You need to take a month off. Turn your phone off for a month. How many of you are getting the shakes right now? You, you literally. That's called an addiction. Some of you need to start practicing a plan to study the Word of God every day. Some, some of you need five minutes of solitude every day. Some of you need to make a plan to pray every day. It's my prayer time. Some of you need to develop a worshipful spirit. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to spend 90 seconds every day, and I'm just going to give thanks to God and to give him praise and to worship him for who he is and to thank him for all the benefits that have come to my life and the blessings I enjoy. Just 90 seconds. God, I give you praise. I promise you, you, get, you spend time with a plan like that, practicing the presence of God, and all this other nonsense in our culture right now will start to fade away from you. Because you'll get perspective. And you'll know God's in control. Some of you need to just uh, maybe walk outside and appreciate God in the created order. One of our staff members came in this morning. We were praying before the first service. He said, when I got here today, the sunrise was spectacular. When I got into the parking lot, there were four deer in the parking lot. It's a beautiful morning. We sense God's presence. Some of you need to go outside tonight. It'll be a nice night. Watch the sunset. Resist the, the urge to take a picture of it and post it. <laughs> Don't. Don't. Missing the point. So in week number one, we talked about comparisons. No one wins when we compare ourselves to others. And social media fosters this comparison, doesn't it? And it hurts us. And it demeans our self-awareness. And it reminds us that we need Christ more than anything else, not the approval of others. And when we have Christ, we have enough. He's enough. The second week, we talked about relationships. So many of us are thumb-to-thumb -thumb in our relationships. And the admonition is to let's practice face-to-face -face relationships. The people you may be missing by spending so much time like this are the people right in front of you. Relationships are important. Week number three, we talked about the more filtered our lives become, the more filtered we are, the more difficult it is to be authentic. One of the high values of today's modern culture is authenticity, and it's very difficult to be authentic 
when you're projecting yourself and per- perceiving others online only. It's hard. And then last week we talked about the more pain we see, the less we care. The more we care about ourselves and fuss about ourselves, the less we care about other people. And, but rather, if the more time we spend getting to know Jesus, caring about him, the more we care about other people. It's called compassion. Compassion demands action. You say you're compassionate, but you don't practically reach out and care and love for other people. You're disqualified. You're not compassionate. Compassion demands action. And today, again, the admonition to get rest. Let me give you one more verse of scripture. We'll be done. Now watch this. This is from Jeremiah 6. Look at it with me. Come on, come back to me. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. Now why would you do that? And you will find, everyone say it together with me, rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. Ask for the ancient paths. There's an old way that's a good way. It's the best way. It's a good way. Walk in it, and you'll find rest for your souls. Well, let's pause and pray about this just for a moment. Father, we pray in your presence today that you would do a healing work in our lives. We live in a world where so many people are mastered by something. And Lord, we confess so many dysfunctional relationships have been experienced and pursued that have been inauthentic. Some of us are just dysfunctioning because we spend so much time with our mobile device and so little time with real people. Some people here, you know, eating more than they should. Some people here are not disciplined in their, in their health, their exercise, their diet. Some people, within the sound of my voice today, lost control, addicted to a substance or a chemical or a behavior. And it's become bigger than you. So today, Father, I pray for those who struggle. I pray by the power of Christ that we need never be mastered by anything, that no stronghold can keep us because Christ is stronger. He is our hope. He is our strength. And thank you that in him we would not be mastered by anything. And particularly, we thank you for victory over technology and all these devices. Some of you within the sound of my voice today, you're going to recognize that your soul is just not at rest. You've tried to fill your life with all sorts of things. Hey, let's go make money. That'll make me happy. Let's go pursue a relationship. That'll make me happy. Let's go party. Let's grab for, grab for the gusto. Let's, let's fulfill every impulse. That'll make me happy. You, you go do this and that, and you've done this and that, and you're still empty, longing for something more. You feel often feel overwhelmed. You feel the weight of your own sin catching up to you. You feel guilty. Why can't I overcome this? 
if there's a God, I wonder where I stand with him. Feel like you're not good enough for God. Your soul's not at rest. Remember the invitation from Jesus. Remember, friend, he said, come to me. Come to me right now. Come exactly as you are. Come to me. You don't have to clean up your life first. You come to me first. And when you call on Jesus, the one who was without sin, who died for our sins, he will forgive every wrong you've ever committed. He'll make you a brand new person. That's the promise. He'll fill you with his spirit. You will never be the same again. I'd like you to pray with me. Maybe this is your day. So pray this prayer out loud after me. Everyone together, pray this in support of those perhaps beside you. Right after me out loud. Ready? Heavenly Father, forgive me. Be the Lord of my life. Holy Spirit, fill me that I can know you and serve you and live for you. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life and rest for my soul. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with us?